reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, from verse 19. Uh, If you have one of the church Bibles, that's on page 1191. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, As you know, we lived up on the north coast of New South Wales for quite some time, and it's a very, very strong rugby league area up there. And there would regularly be talent scouts who would come up there from the big clubs in Sydney to watch the junior games up there and see if there were any players that they might want to think about signing. Even 12 and 14 year olds were sometimes signed uh, by the big teams. Uh, We knew a dad up there whose 15 year old son was a very promising rugby league player. And the dad knew that one of the scouts from a big club in Sydney was coming up to watch his son play in this game. And he identified the scout when he walked into the game. There are only a few hundred people at this game that think the game was in Ballina. And he said it was quite amazing watching this scout. Because during the first half of the game, he paid almost no attention to what was happening on the field. He sat there reading a magazine, he was looking around at the structure of the grandstand, he was looking around at the scenery, he said he barely even looked at the ground while the kids were playing in the first half. Second half started, he thought maybe he's going to pay attention now, same thing, flipping through that magazine. He got the impression that this scout must have just wasted his time in coming and was just waiting for the plane to go home. But then in the last 10 minutes, the scout leaned forward and paid very, very careful attention to what happened out on the field, was watching every single player to see what was happening. And you know why, don't you? Because, see, anyone can put on the big hit in the first five minutes, anyone can do the great break in the first five minutes, that's fine, loads of people can do that. But who's the guy who's still running at the end? Who's the guy who's still playing hard at the end? Who's the guy who's putting on that tackle at the end? That's the one the scout wants to sign. It's called perseverance. Uh, Rugby league scouts know all about it. And it's the point of the passage that we're looking at today. See, we come today to not quite the end of Hebrews. We've got a couple more weeks to go. But we come to the big turning point in Hebrews today. It's right there. You can see it in the first word of verse 19. 
It's the therefore. See, up to this point, he's been explaining to them about the old covenant, how the old covenant has come to an end. Now he's going to draw all of those threads together. The last nine and a half chapters of Hebrews have been leading up to what he wants to say right here in this passage. And it's about perseverance. He wants to encourage them to keep pressing on in their Christian faith. Now throughout this letter we've seen that in some ways it's a hard letter for us to relate to because it's written to Jewish Christians who are in danger of having come to faith in Jesus but wanting to slip back to the Old Covenant, to Old Testament ways. But the writer's been saying to them all along, there is no going back. And more than that, it'd be stupid to think about going back. There's nothing to go back to. All that God has done for them is found in Jesus. See, all of those things in the old covenant, the priesthood, the tabernacle, even the whole sacrificial system, it finds its fulfilment in Jesus. But not only is Jesus the fulfilment of that old covenant, what we have in Jesus is so much better than the old covenant. See, through Jesus, he says, we can know God personally, every single one of us. We can have God's law written on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can know what it is to have our sin completely forgiven by God, forgiven forever. If you want to be serious about God, the writer says to his friends, then you have to be serious about Jesus. So when you get to the therefore at the beginning of verse 19, he's saying, therefore, in light of everything that I've said to you so far in this letter, this is what I want to say. And look at how it begins. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Did you see all of the Old Testament imagery that he's woven into those verses there? We've already looked at the tabernacle and how that's the place that symbolised where God dwelt with his people. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. This is what the old tabernacle would have looked like. And then inside the tabernacle, there were those two areas, the holy place, but the most holy place, separated off by that curtain. That was where God symbolically dwelt. I think they knew that he wasn't literally there, but that was the place that they understood God to be present. And only the high priest on one day of the year could go inside that most holy place. But did you see what he says here? Now, because of what Jesus has done, we can all enter there freely, any time, not just on one day of the year. Do you remember the gospel accounts when Jesus died on the cross? We're told that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now it's possible for anyone to know God personally through Jesus. It's possible for anyone to enter into God's presence. More than that, he says that we can actually have confidence in approaching God. Not confidence in who we are, not 
confidence in what we've done. It's not a self-esteem issue that he's talking about here. He says we can have complete confidence because of what Jesus has done. That if we are people who trust in him, we can have confidence to come before God. And let's be clear about this. God wants us to know him personally. God wants us to have confidence in our relationship with him. He wants us to live in that personal relationship with him. Remember one of the members of our church when we were up on the north coast, he always used to say, I, I, I hope that when it comes to the end that, that I'll be able to go to be with God forever. And I kept trying to say to him, there's no hoping about it. Because hope gives the impression that it's up to you and it's not. It's up to what God has done for you in Jesus. Do you trust that? Because if you do, you can have complete confidence. Not confidence that you've done your bit, but confident that Jesus has done his bit. And do you see what he's saying to his friends in here? What they have in Jesus makes the whole old covenant look pretty insignificant, doesn't it? And because they now have Jesus, they need to keep pressing on. They need to keep pressing on in their faith. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now I want you to notice the next thing that he says there. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Having a personal relationship with God means that you become part of God's family. He's encouraging them to press on in that relationship with God, But they also need to remember that they're part of a family. They also need to remember they have a responsibility to encourage others. And what he says there is true for us as well. The Christian life is not just about you and your relationship with God. It's not about you and your private time with God. If it was, why would you bother coming here of a Sunday morning? Why not stay in your own lounge room? Be very comfortable there. If it's just about you and God, but it's not. It's about you and God and you and the people who meet in this room. So you're part of this family. You have a responsibility to look out for the members of this church, to encourage them in their faith, to spur them on to live godly lives, to make sure that we keep meeting together, to keep encouraging others to keep meeting together. Perseverance in the Christian life is a team effort. Part of being God's family means that we need to make sure that we're seeking to encourage the other members of God's family. We live in a reasonably individualistic society where you're just encouraged to think about yourself. You're encouraged to measure things by how it makes me feel, what benefit it will have for me. You're encouraged to assess everything in terms of how it makes you feel. And that kind of me thinking can even creep into our attitude about church as well. We can be tempted to think of church in terms of what I will get out of it. 
how it will make me feel, what benefit there will be for me. I think sometimes church can feel a little bit like me church because I make my decisions about whether or not I'll be there based around me, whether or not I feel like being there, whether or not it's going to make me feel better or whether or not I'll enjoy it. But that's not the kind of thinking that we're encouraged to have here in this passage, is it? It says about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds and keep meeting together to keep encouraging each other. See, the me thinking really ought not to be there. We should be thinking about others. It's not, do I feel like going to church today? But what we should be saying is, God, please give me the chance to encourage somebody else when I go along to church this morning. And instead of saying, I'm not sure I feel like going to Bible study on Wednesday night, we should be really saying, how can I spur others on if I'm not even there? Well, then there's an added motivation that he gives them in verse number 25. And he says to do this all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching, the day that he's got in mind there is the day on which Jesus will return. We should encourage others, he says, because Jesus is coming again. We should spur others on towards love and good deeds because Jesus is coming again. We should keep meeting together because Jesus is coming again. And we should encourage others to keep meeting with us because Jesus is coming again. But the day on which Jesus returns will also be the day on which he judges It'll be a wonderful day for those who have their hope in Jesus. They will receive what God has promised them in Jesus. But as he goes on to say, it will be a terrible day for those who reject Jesus. For them, it will be a day of judgment and punishment. Verses 26 to 31, there's a pretty stern warning that he offers his readers there in that passage. And he describes for them the fate of those who reject forgiveness and life in Jesus. Those who refuse the salvation that Jesus offers, those who turn their back on what God has done for them in Jesus, should be fearful about that day. Look at what the writer says, picking it up in verse number 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. He's really saying, if you turn your back on Jesus now, what hope is there? He's the only one who can offer you forgiveness. He's the only one who can offer you a relationship with God. If you reject and ignore what God has done for you, then there really is no hope. Without Jesus, all that you've got left is a fearful expectation of God's judgment. But the writer of this letter has confidence that that won't be the case for his friends. And starting in verse 22, he reminds them about the persecution that they've been through before, what they've already suffered because of their faith in Jesus. Have a quick look at what he lists down there. He says they've been publicly exposed, persecuted, insulted, had their property confiscated. They faced it all before with confidence because they had their eyes fixed on the goal. They could see what was ahead of them. Look at what he says in verse 34. 
You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They watched their property go out the door. Their plasma TV, their microwave oven, their jewellery. Watched it all disappear because they knew that God had better things in store for them. They knew that whatever happened, that's not the end. They knew that one day they'd share an eternity with God. And they were confident. And he wants them to be confident even in this latest round of persecution. And he is confident that they will persevere. It's hard to comprehend. Every time I read that passage... I just realise I can't truly understand what these people have been through. I mean, it's happening all around our world today. People are still facing confiscation of their property because of their faith in Jesus. There are still people who are dying every day because of their faith in Jesus. And we have such extraordinary freedom in this country. It's not just one or two people who are suffering that way, but hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world are suffering for no other reason than they believe in Jesus. He's encouraging us to make sure that we have faith so that we will persevere, but we need to persevere even when we're not suffering that kind of persecution. We need to recognise that God has greater things in store for us, greater things even than living in Balmain. Greater things than the wealth that we've accumulated for ourselves. That even if that were taken away, that's not the end. That God has something far better in store for us in his son Jesus. And you'd like to think that people around you would be able to see that in your lifestyle, in your attitudes. That people would notice that you're different because of the way that you live. The way that you handle your money the attitudes and values that you have. You'd like to think that they'd be able to see that that Jesus is your number one priority in life and that everything else is a poor second. I love the way he closes this chapter. Pick it up in verse number 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Every now and then on TV, they have those where are they now TV shows. I'm not sure if you've ever seen one of those. They pick up celebrities, you know, actors and people who've been in, in uh, well-known public, uh, well-known TV shows and they show where they are now, 10 years down the track or five years down the track. And, and some of the stories are quite exciting. You've seen people who started out in some little TV show and they've gone on to be great actors. But some of the stories are quite sad. Famous actors who were well-known for many years and now they're a car park attendant in a parking lot in New York somewhere. Actors who were incredibly wealthy and they've blown it all and they're now completely broke. 
Imagine if we were to do a kind of a where are they now from Campbell Street Church. Let's jump ahead five years. See what you're doing. How you're going in your Christian life. Would you still be hanging around on the fringe of the church, not wanting to get too involved? Just doing it as much as it feels right to you? Would you be going to church for what you get out of it? Would you be one of those people who doesn't want to get too committed, wants to stay fairly free, keep your options open? Would you be one of those people who's slipping out of the habit of meeting together? Would you try to get to Bible study if there's nothing better on TV that night? Would you be a little less frequent in your church attendance because other things have become more important? Or would you be pressing on in your faith? Would you be hanging in there because it's important to help others, to encourage others to be more faithful in following Jesus? Will you be holding unswervingly to the faith that you profess in Jesus? Will it be obvious to others that following Jesus is your number one priority? Will you be working hard at encouraging others? Will you be spurring others on towards love and good deeds? Well, let's forget about five years from now. What about today? What's the priority that you have? What is it that you think is important? Are you pressing on in your relationship with God? Are you wanting to see others press on in their relationship with God? Is perseverance a priority for you? And do you want it to be a priority for others? What can you do to spur others on in their relationship with God? What can you do to encourage them toward love and good deeds? What can you do to encourage them to keep meeting together? We need to be regularly thinking about those who meet within the life of our church here and thinking about how we can encourage them. It might simply be an email or an SMS. It might be a cup of coffee or a meal. It might be to just tell them that we miss them when they're not there on Sunday, when they're not there at Bible study during the week. That passage starts with a very impassioned plea in verse uh, 23. And let me close with that this morning. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray that you would help us to be people who do want to spur others on and encourage others in their faith. That we would see that we have a role within the life of our church, that we have a responsibility towards each other, that we would see that our relationship with you is our highest priority, the most important thing about who we are, that it ought to shape all of our decisions and our attitudes. And we pray that you would help us to think about those who are part of the life of our church and think about what we can do to encourage them, to spur them on, to comfort them, to reassure them of the importance of faith in Jesus. We pray, Father, that we would be a church that does the things that you would want us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.